today, I would like to spend some time with you and read a passage from the Bible. I'm going to invite you, if I can, to John chapter 20 in the New Testament. Uh, And it's a story from the life of um, a man by the name of Thomas. So John 20 tells us the story of a disciple. We know him as the doubting uh, Thomas. Oddly enough, uh, in the Bible, he's not called Doubting Thomas. That's actually, that name Doubting is something that we've given to him almost uh, uh, as a a nickname, as it were. He's not called that in the New Testament. But he's one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has resurrected from the grave. He died on Friday, resurrected on Sunday, and has appeared to some of the disciples. After appearing to some of the disciples, there was one disciple who was not present. Technically two, Judas Iscariot wasn't there. Uh, but John, uh, John tells us that this man, Thomas, uh, was not in the room when Jesus showed his resurrection body. And as a result, he's having a hard time believing that Jesus has been resurrected. This is the story uh, in John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out, touch your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I invite you wherever you are to say the word amen today. This story uh, about Thomas uh, is is a powerful testimony in the New Testament to a young man who is walking through something very familiar with a lot of people in our world. This is a story about doubt. Over the last few years, I've been writing a a book about this very topic uh, that I've entitled After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. It's essentially the culmination of 22 years of serving uh, pastorally, academically, now as a professor, the spiritual journeys of essentially college students. For 10 years, I was a college pastor at the University of Oregon. For about 10 years, I was a church planter and established a church in downtown Portland. And now I'm an academic. I teach at Bushnell University in Eugene. And as a result of sitting in the front row for the last 22 years of watching the young come of age and begin to develop their own faith, I've also seen a lot of people walk through doubt and another experience that we call deconstruction. Often we doubt our faith. We struggle with doubt for a variety of reasons. For example, uh, when we begin to see that the church is imperfect, uh, we begin to see injustices in the church, uh, or we begin to experience uh, awakenings that maybe our heroes in the faith weren't everything we thought them to be. For some of us, we've been hurt by the church. For some of us, we have belief structure issues. We have a really hard time simply believing that Jesus is who he says uh, he is. Now, there's a whole variety of reasons that we walk through doubt. But what I want to do today is just for a few moments, invite you to see doubt as a legitimate space to encounter God. 
I sort of live in this, and maybe you've experienced this too, this sort of weird tension in the church culture that we find ourselves in, where on the sort of conservative, uh, theologically conservative right side, uh, doubt is seen as this horrible, bad thing that if you do it, you probably aren't a Christian. And so it demonizes doubt. But there's this other side, kind of progressive Christianity, that almost requires that you doubt and deconstruct in order to faithfully know God. And so they valorize doubt. I want to suggest to you today there's a third way. Not a road that demonizes doubt and not a road that valorizes it. But it's the Thomas path. It's the path of finding Jesus in the very middle of our doubts, our deconstruction. I want to contend that it is possible to question your faith without losing it. As you think about it, what is something right now that you're struggling to believe about Jesus? What is something the Bible tells us that you're having a hard time accepting? What is something that you find yourself wrestling with? I love to point out that even the name Israel in the Bible, which is the name Yisrael, it's the name for God's people in the Old Testament, the old covenant uh, people in the, in, in the first two-thirds of the Bible. That name Yisrael literally means wrestles with God. There's actually this, uh, this sort of tradition that says that name Hebrew, which is a word we use for, for a Jewish person, the word Hebrew is actually borrowed from an old Akkadian word by the name of Hapiru, which means to wander. Now just think about that. The people in the Old Testament found their identity in wrestling with God. They've, they found their identity in wandering with God. Does it feel like you're wrestling with God? Does it feel like you're wandering? It sounds like you might be a person of God. I want to just for a moment identify three aspects of what we see Thomas go through here. And the very first thing I want to identify, just briefly, is that Thomas doubts. That Thomas doubts. Now, we need to keep in mind that Thomas has spent the last three years following Jesus. He has seen miracles. He saw the dead raised. He saw the fishes and the loaves multiplied. He saw some incredible miracles. Can you imagine that? He'd seen all these things. Can you imagine what it would be like to see those experiences with Jesus in three years? Imagine that. And yet we see here, despite the fact that he's had these experiences of seeing miracles, of seeing the dead raised, of seeing people healed, he still doubts. In a way, I've had people say to me, um, you know, I wouldn't doubt if God would just show himself to me. And my response is, tell that to Peter. Tell that to Thomas, who saw these miracles and yet still struggled with doubt. And so Thomas, he had believed and walked with Jesus for three years. He is doubting now. It's not that he hasn't had a powerful experience even in the midst of his faith, of seeing powerful, incredible things, he is struggling with this reality called doubt. Now, I, I want to differentiate for a moment. I want to differentiate the difference between what I call healthy doubt and unhealthy doubt. Okay? You know, I ask the question, why is somebody going through doubt? Why is somebody walking through deconstruction? Um, when I'm sitting with somebody, one of my students, for example, who's beginning to wrestle with what the Bible has to say. They're having a hard time believing it. They're going through some season where they're kind of pulling apart their faith. One of the most important things I can do is simply ask them, what's your goal? Why are you doing this? 
Because ultimately, sometimes actually, we go through doubt and deconstruction for really good reasons. You know, in, in our moment in, in history, for a lot of us, we see places where the church has done things that are not good. And friends, that should cause us to want to deconstruct fal false forms of faith. It should cause us to want to get down to the real, to the right, to the good. You know, a lot of people that are walking through doubt and deconstruction right now, I don't actually think are doing it because they're walking away from Jesus. I think a lot of people are doing it right now because they're actually looking for Jesus. My wife and I grow these tomatoes in our backyard. Uh, they're proof of God good tomatoes. Oregon tomatoes in the summer. Listen, it rains nine months out of the year here for this one reason, so we can grow these tomatoes. And we grow these incredible tomatoes in the summer. And almost always in the summer, we'll have somebody come over for dinner, we'll serve our tomatoes, and there will often be somebody who says, well, I don't like tomatoes. And I'll say, well, I want you to eat my tomatoes, and I'll serve them tomatoes anyways. And guess what they'll say? They'll eat my tomatoes, and they'll say, my gosh, I love tomatoes. And all of a sudden, you learn something. People don't hate tomatoes, they hate fake tomatoes. I actually think a lot of people, a lot of young individuals in our lives, people that we know that are wrestling with doubt and deconstruction, more often than not, are actually attempting to undo fake religion because they're hungry for God. And so when I'm sitting with a student and I say, why are you deconstructing? Why are you doubting? Why are you going through this? There are often really beautiful reasons why somebody is doing it. And often we do that because we want God. We don't want fake images of God. We don't want pretend images of God. We want God. That's good doubt. That's good deconstruction. When we begin to question false ideas we have about God that are not true, that is good. But there is, of course, another side to deconstruction and to doubt. It's the dark side. Because sometimes the reason that we're doing this is not because we're trying to get to Jesus. Sometimes we do this because really at the end of the day, we're just tired of the Bible telling us what we don't want to hear. And sometimes we're undoing what the Bible has to say, frankly, because we just want to be able to sleep with who we want. And sometimes we do it simply because we're tired of having somebody give us instruction that we don't want to hear. And I, I hate to say this, and I don't mean to be crass, but you will end up getting what you want. If your desire is to doubt, deconstruct simply because you're looking for a way to get what you want, you're going to get it. In fact, Jesus is always walking around and saying to people, what do you want? And the reason he says, what do you want? is because part people, God partners with people's will. In fact, we have a word in the Bible for people getting what they want. It's called wrath. <laughs> and wrath is the idea that God gives us what we want, even when it's not a good thing, that he's that generous. I think good doubt is the, are those moments where we doubt the wrong things we believed about God. And bad doubt are the moments that we believe we disbelieve God, largely because we want God to get out of our lives. And in this moment, Thomas, he is struggling to believe. And I, I want to invite you just to consider, for the person who is walking through doubt, for the person who is walking through these experience, experiences, the most important thing we can do for them, even if it's you, is to recognize that God can meet you right in the middle of it. The second thing I want you to see from this story, uh, in line with the first, is not only does Thomas uh, sort of go through this doubt experience, but in a weird way, Thomas trusts, but just in the wrong way. 
He trusts, but just in the wrong way. Now, you'll notice, did you see that it says Thomas um, said, if I see his side, if I see his hands, I'll believe. You know, if, if, if I can see these things, I will believe. This is in essence saying, give, give me empirical evidence that this has happened. Well, that's a legitimate understanding. I know why someone would say that. But when you hear that, all of a sudden you realize we're not talking about somebody who doesn't believe anymore. We're talking about somebody who believes just in something other than Jesus. Uh, there was a book written a number of years ago by a guy named Michael Polanyi. He wrote a book called Personal Knowledge. It's this brilliant scientist who essentially argues that even the most scientifically objective empirical, empirical act of, 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 of scientific knowledge is at the end of the day an act of faith. That you cannot do science without trusting the process without trusting the person under whom you're studying, without trusting your equipment, that even science demands this element of faith. And all of a sudden we learn from the Thomas story that doubt for Thomas is not that he doesn't have faith, it's that he believes in something else. He had believed in Jesus, but now he believes in his eyes. He believes in the evidence. He believes in what he sees. You see, the person who's walking through doubt has not lost faith. They have just transferred their faith to something else. Often when people cease believing in Jesus, they've got to put their faith in something else. I've had a number of friends go from believing in God and moving to atheism. A number of friends who've made this decision. It makes me sound like maybe, it's, maybe I'm the problem. I don't think I am. We live in a world where this is happening a great deal. But what I find is that when people stop trusting in Jesus... More often than not, they actually start trusting in themselves. You know, actually, when you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, isn't that exactly what the serpent told the man and the woman in the garden? God said, if you eat from this tree, you will die. And then the serpent comes along and he says, did God really say that? And then the serpent says to him, you're not really going to die. You're just going to be like God. And in essence, what the serpent is saying to the man and the woman is he's saying, don't trust in God's word, trust in your own. Do your thing. I've, I've listened to your own voice. You do you. The voice of the serpent always says, stop trusting in the words of God and trust in yourself. Even the fall in Genesis 3 is the result of somebody who has stopped believing in what God has said and has begun to believe in themselves. Thomas's problem is not that he does not have faith. It is that he has placed his faith in himself. The invitation here, of course, is not to trust in yourself. It is to trust in God, in Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Because it is possible to trust in the wrong way. You know, I, I years ago watched this hilarious video of a kid who had never done a trust fall. And she's standing in front of her dad and her dad's behind, uh, behind her and she's never done one and he's explaining it. And she's standing right in front of her dad and her dad says, okay, fall. But she didn't know you were supposed to fall back and so she fell forward. <laughs> she trusted, but in the wrong way. And Thomas, he's doing the trust fall but he's falling onto himself. And the invitation for Thomas here, the invita- invitation for Thomas 
is to begin once again to fall backwards. Why? Because we live by faith. We don't live by sight. We don't live by our eyeballs. We live by faith. And the third thing I want you to see from this story, and it's the most hopeful part of the story, is Thomas returns and he worships. Jesus shows up in the room. He shows him the scars on his hand, the scars on his side. And Thomas, what does he do? He falls to the ground. He cries out, my Lord and my God. That's a very interesting phrase for people uh, that study the New Testament because it's, a, it's essentially Thomas saying Jesus is God. And if Jesus is not God, uh, it would seem odd uh, that he wouldn't stop Thomas in his praise of him, but he doesn't stop him. He allows him to praise him. Why? Because Jesus knew exactly who he was. He was God. He was the divine son of God incarnate, sent here to serve and save the lost. And so when Thomas worships, Jesus receives it. What's so, about, what's so beautiful about this text is the invitation to us as the reader that in the midst of our, our doubt, Jesus shows up. In the midst of our doubt, Jesus pops up in the room. And I love in this story, he just walks through a wall because in the resurrection body, you can apparently just walk through walls, which is awesome. And Thomas believes. Did you notice? Jesus waits an entire week before showing Thomas his resurrection body. Jesus is not terrified or worried or concerned about Thomas's doubt. He doesn't rush and drop everything he's doing to come fix a guy's doubt problem because he's going to show up. And sometimes God doesn't show up as fast as we want, and he does it for a reason. Because sometimes God is just growing our roots really deep. Sometimes in doubt, what God is doing, he's frankly just growing us up. But even in that, a week, think about that. The disciples, 10 of them who believed in the resurrection and had seen the resurrection, made room in their midst for one whole week for somebody struggling with doubt. They didn't take this guy that was struggling and ostracize him and put him into some weird group where he's going to get some social engineering done to try to get his ideas right. The believing community makes space for a doubter. There are doubters in your midst. Don't shame them. Don't kick them out. Make room for them. Because here's what happens when you make room for a doubter and you patiently love and serve and care for people with doubts. Do you know what happened to Thomas after this story? The New Testament doesn't tell us. Only church tradition and history tells us. Thomas actually leaves this story and eventually becomes the very first missionary to go to India. Now, if you've ever had a friend from India who's from a Christian family with the last name Thomas, I actually have two friends who have the last name Thomas and love Jesus. There's a reason. There are 2,000 years of history of Christian generations and families that derive their faith all the way back to a doubter who went to proclaim the good news of Jesus in India. Stop seeing the doubter as a problem. See them as our future missionaries. In Matthew 28, Jesus goes up on a mountainside and, and Matthew records that they go up to worship him and some doubted.
Jesus makes room for doubters in the worship of God. Sometimes we don't. Where do you find yourself in this? Are you wrestling with doubt? Are you wrestling with deconstruction? Are you pulling your faith apart right now? Why are you doing it? Ask yourself the question. Are you doing it because you love God and you want to know God more? Or are you doing it because, frankly, you just want to do your own thing? Are you wrestling with doubt? I want to invite you, if you are, see yourself in this story. There's room for you. This is not the end of your story. There's hope. Do you know somebody who's walking through this stuff? Do you, know, do you have a kid, a family member, a husband, a wife, a mom, a dad, a cousin, a coworker, a friend, a person in your church, a pastor? You have somebody you know who's going through this. Here's my invitation to you, and I believe is the invitation of the Holy Spirit. Be merciful to those who doubt. Jude 22. Be so merciful. The very fact that that's even in the Bible implies that the doubters are in our midst. Be merciful. Be kind. It's been a joy being with you. God is with you. Be merciful to those who doubt. And if that's you, be really merciful to yourself. Grace and peace.